You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Well, good and beautiful Sunday morning to you. You know, uh, how many of you, when you hear the word hell, a picture like this just jumps into your mind? You know, when I, I don't know, I'm sure it was taught well, but I did hear some teachings that made it sound like there's just this big fire and God was dropping people down into the fire. Listen, if, if that's your picture of hell, I'm glad you're here because you are in for some major uh, renovations in your thinking today. You're, you're in for a major makeover. Now, what about heaven? I remember, and I'm sure it was taught well, Pastor Jonathan, but I heard teachings on heaven, and it sort of sounded like the two main activities would be, number one, flitting around from one cloud to the other with the angels like a scatterbrained butterfly. The other activity seemed to be a nonstop choir rehearsal. <laughs> those were your options. And... Uh, Again, if, if those are your ideas of heaven, you really need to get a copy of the Bible and see what it has to say, because it, we're, that's what we're going to do today. And let's introduce the teaching. Let's just sort of set the table with three uh, different words, start with H, all right? Heaven, then hell, and then human choice, human free will, human choice. All right, heaven. Absent from the body is to be? We love that, but listen to that, listen to that part now, present with the Lord. That's heaven. That's heaven, to be present with the Lord. That sort of sums it all up. This part of me that's not the body, absent from the body, so what part of me goes to be present with the Lord? My soul, my spirit, that, that the real me leaves this body that deteriorates and has a new addition body that the Bible teaches about. Apostle Paul talks about it. And it goes to be into the presence of the Lord. And yes, we, we, we will never feel more alive than when we uh, step into eternity, into heaven. And uh, it will be a place of creativity. Everything you heard about is true. It'll be a place of glory, joy, peace, trust, uh, love, a meaningful service with Jesus, ruling and will reign with him uh, forever and ever. It's just going to be so meaningful. And all the no's will be there. There'll be no suffering, no separation, no more sin, pain, corruption, hatred, violence, deception, or even aging. The older I get, the more I like that. But all of this causes the Apostle Paul to say this. He says, so everything we deal with here is just like a light and momentary trial in comparison. And our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal what? An eternal glory. That, that's that, it's just beyond glory that far outweighs them all. He, he says that in another time, he says, it, it's beyond what your eye can see, what your ear can hear. Even beyond what you can imagine. If you can think of the very best concept of heaven, I can tell you it's better than that. Because it's better than what you can imagine. You know, um, these two girls, uh, one four-year-old, one 
uh, three-year-old, uh, the four-year-old was getting ready to go to kindergarten next year, and she was so excited. Uh, Casey was so excited about her first day at kindergarten. Younger sister Julie watched big sister with great fascination, and on, but on the Sunday before she was to go to her first day of kindergarten the next day, she fell and she scraped up her knee, and there was blood, and, and, and tears began to flow, and the, 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 the younger sister tried to comfort her old big sister by saying, don't worry, Casey, if you die, you'll go to heaven. But Casey wailed even more. She said, I don't want to go to heaven. I want to go to kindergarten. <laughs> How many have lived long enough to know that kindergarten or anything in this life is way overrated? <laughs> There's nothing that compares to the glory that awaits us. As a matter of fact, Jesus and John, when he writes the book of Revelation, have to go to symbolic language in order to describe the glorious good that heaven will be. And, and I can tell you this this morning, that one moment, just one moment in the presence of Jesus Christ, it'll be so much better than anything that you can imagine it being. And, and, and I know this from reading Revelation, people won't be able to drag themselves away from the presence of Jesus. It'll just seem so right, so full, so overwhelmingly good. Finally, complete fulfillment that our souls have been longing for. Because as humans, we are the one being in the whole animal kingdom, the one being that God is designed to have a capacity for the presence of God, to live with his spirit in us, to be that close to God. Only when, we're, only when we have God in our lives, his presence, are we really complete. You know, otherwise we're just like an animal, right? If we don't, we're just the highest on the food chain. We're just the, 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 the most smartest mammal out there. We're just the, the, the most, you know, developed being on the planet. We're a body plus mind, but with no soul. The Apostle Paul would say we're spiritually dead until we're awakened in Christ. So spirit, that spirit part of us is dead. So if I had to describe heaven with three words, here's the three words I would use. Presence of Jesus. That's what heaven is. The presence of Jesus. What about hell? It's interesting that most of the information in the Bible that we get on hell comes from Jesus himself. Uh, and uh, what he teaches, you can summarize in three phrases. The first one would be unsatisfied consumption. Unsatisfied consumption. Six times, I, I didn't know this before, I, I looked it up. Six times in Matthew's gospel, Jesus uses the phrase in describing hell, weeping and gnashing of teeth. What does that mean? Weeping and gnashing. So I went over into the book of Acts. It was used. Remember when uh, Stephen was a Christian and he was telling people about Jesus, his glory, that he was really God. He came to be Savior. And, and, uh, and, and the, the, the religious group that was there wanted him killed because they... They just, in their pride, in their sense of, we have the better religion, and we're going to kill you. And, and as they began to throw stones at Stephen, uh, the Bible says they were gnashing their teeth. Watch this now. That's how angry they were. They were just simmering with rage. They're gnashing their teeth. And so you understand when someone is burning with lust, or burning with greed, brewing in their bitterness, 
to use Mick Jagger's word, they can't get no satisfaction. They're always stuck in this self-seeking, insatiable craving. Jesus uses the illustration. His first audience would have been so familiar with the big garbage dump outside Jerusalem where all the garbage was put, even the, from the sacrifices, the carcasses of animals. You imagine the stink. And, the, the, and, and he uses that to describe because he says the fire doesn't go out and the worm doesn't die. It just, just keeps on going and going. Unsatisfied consumption. Another phrase that Jesus uses, outer darkness, outter darkness. One story he tells, he says, there's a, a chas- great chasm in between, y- y- uncrossable. And, and, and those that are in hell are outside. Outside of what? Outside of number three. The, there's an absence of God. They're outside the presence of God. This is the most telling description of hell. If I had to use three words to describe hell, it would be absence of God. You see, we humans were created unique among the animal kingdom, designed with the capacity to carry the presence of God. And if we leave that part of us empty, we're just, we're just living without our potential. We're living without that capacity that he has uniquely given to humans. We're living without the presence of God. We're incomplete without him. And hell is the absence of God. All right. Heaven, hell, third H, human choice. Human choice. God designs humans with the freedom to choose. We can choose to fill our lives up with ourselves, even our own religions and thoughts. And we can, or else we can say, there's something outside of me. I turn to God to find my identity. I, I turn to God, uh, my creator, to live for him as I was designed to live. It's our choice. So when we hear, you know, let's go ahead and ask the question, how can a loving God send people to hell? Well, first of all, God doesn't send anyone to hell. God doesn't send anyone to hell. Send means being sent against your will. God does not send anyone to hell. It's not God's will that anyone would go to hell. Let's see how Peter, in his second letter, helps us about that. He's talking about God. And he says, he is patient with you, not wanting how many? To perish, but to come to repentance. If God had his way, he would send, if it was up to him to send people somewhere, he would send everyone to heaven, if if God had his way. Second, God does all he can to see us choose heaven. He does all he can to see us choose heaven. You know, the first teaching I ever gave on hell, I think it was in 1979. Do you know what it was called? Why I believe it's hard to get to hell. Because I said, look at all the roadblocks that God puts in a human being's pathway to keep them from going there. First of all, creation. Creation. You know, you can, the more science discovers is out there, it's bigger and more vast and more intricate than we thought. Watch this. The heavens declare the glory of God. And you can look through a microscope and see increasingly tinier particles. And the heavens declare the glory of God. The earth shows forth his handiwork. You see the fingerprints of God. The order, the beauty, the power that it would have taken to bring all this about. So when Paul writes the Christians in Rome, he says it this way. He says, since what may be known about God is plain to them, how is it plain to them? Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, 
His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. If all I know of God is what I see in creation, there is enough there to speak to me that there is someone who put this all together. He's a God of order, design, and beauty. All right? But then there's also this spiritual longing. In the first uh, teaching in this series, we saw that here we are in the 21st century, and almost 90% of human beings identify with a spiritual belief system. In other words, they know that they were designed to long for a higher power, a God out there somewhere. They just automatically have this, you know, ET call home mechanism installed in them where they just, they just reach out to God. We are hardwired to reach out for the presence of of God. And so creation, spiritual longing, uh, conscience. I remember when I took a course in um, anthropology in university, it was fascinating to see that as far as they could go back and with fossils, the Homo sapiens here, they could go back, as far as they could go, they would always find evidence, especially where people were buried, that people were trying to appease their gods. And that there was a sense that there was an afterlife where they would be judged. They had to reckon. So they tried to put themselves in the best light in the afterlife. What is that? And they realized that every human being has a moral compass installed. It doesn't always point to true north. <laughs> you can tamper and mess with the compass. You know, you can warp it. But, but, but there's always a sense of right and wrong with a sense in a human being that I'm, I'm going to be held accountable if I do wrong. The conscience is there. Just sort of points at who installed that compass. Just points us to, to, to God. And then the Bible. You know, I remember that message, and I, I wrote down, it was January 2017. It, it's in our archive. Get a copy. If you want to see the miracle of the Bible, a message Pastor Jonathan did that was just so exceptional. 66 books written by 40 writers over 1,500 years, all with the same message that we were designed with God's presence we went our own way. Jesus came to give us a second chance. And now we can live in God's presence forever. How many thank God for the Bible? How many people have come to faith in God simply by reading the Bible? Just an amazing, miraculous book. And then, there, the, I haven't got to the biggest one yet. Christ. Christ. Now, we know John 3.16. I've invited people last night and earlier this morning just to, because a lot of us know bits and pieces, or if there's any one Bible verse we know, we may have memorized it from different translations. That's all right. Just, just blurt it out. John 3.16. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him would not but have. And if you keep reading to verse 17... For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. No, he, that's not why he came. He came so that the world through him might be. He wants everyone in heaven. That's God's will. He wants every one of us in heaven. Now, some people are going to say, so let's go to some of the yabats, okay? Because I know what you're yabatting about. <laughs> or people yabat. Yeah, but what about people who have never heard of Jesus? They never, don't even know that their Messiah, Savior, died on the cross for them, and heaven is even an option for them. Are they lost in going to hell? Well, you know who we're talking about. We're talking about people like the prostitute Rahab in the Old Testament. Thousands of years ago she lived. 
And uh, she lived in Jericho. She has no gospel of Jesus Christ. She has no Bible. She's a prostitute. She has no conscience. No, I'm just saying. But what does she have? What does she have? You know what she has? They come. She hides the spies. Why? Because she says, I know that you folk are in touch. You're connected with the living God. I want to know him. Do you know where she ends up? In the Bible. Hebrews chapter 11, in the Bible's Hall of Fame, there you will find Rahab the prostitute. Isn't that amazing? It just shows you how it, all it takes is someone just reaching out to God with long, God, I want to know you. And just God shows up. Remember the people of Nineveh that Jonah went to and he warned them? Listen, it sounds like a wholesale decision to repent. They just turned to God. And how many know God was there for them? God was there for them, and he forgave them. That's exactly why Jonah went there. What about Naaman, the commander of the uh, Syrian army? He came from a land of Syria where there are lots of gods, lots of religions. But when he needed a healing, he knew he needed to go to the living God. And how many know God healed him? Do you see that they may not have had Bible, Jesus, but they, they had this longing. They just knew that there was a God and they reached out to him and he was there for them. So we understand that. Now, what about this? Here's another, but yeah, but what about people who have opportunity to understand lots about God? What if they're able to go like me? Check, 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 check. I can check off all of those and say, I've been given all of those revelations of God. All of those roadblocks to keep me from going to hell, I can say, yeah, I've experienced them in my life. Well, it's interesting. It's important to look at because watch this now. Remember the Pharisees? They had a Bible, and now Jesus is standing right before them. And it's right, John 9, he reveals himself as the Son of God. Now watch this. Listen to this. Because instead of believing in Jesus, they chose spiritual blindness. Here's Jesus, and they choose to go like this spiritually. Not see who he really is. Not see the truth and the way. And, and Jesus says, John 9, 41, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. What does that tell us? How many understand? That tells us God holds us accountable for what we know of him. Do you see that? See how fair he is? He holds us, you know, if you, if you don't know, you, you wouldn't be guilty. But, but now that you do know, you see, we're, we're held accountable for what we know. Here, here it happens again. Jesus goes to the three communities and he says himself, I've done more miracles amongst you than I've done anywhere else in all of Israel. And he names the communities. And he says, he says this to them, Woe to you, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. Will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. That's a word for hell. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, remember Sodom and Gomorrah? It would have, Sodom would have remained until this day, but I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than it was for you. Why would they be judged more severely than Sodom? Because they, they knew more. That's right. More had been revealed to them. Imagine having Jesus do miracles and then not believe in him. Like, duh. Anyway, I'm not judging. But we are held accountable for how much was revealed to us. Do you see that? 
we're held accountable. If someone doesn't know a whole lot about Jesus, never had a Bible, they're still held accountable for how they responded with the little that they did know. And if they know a lot, Jesus himself, he tells us exactly where that places us. To whom much is given, much is required. I think of Keith Smith and, oh, I can check all those boxes, how good God has been to me. And I can say, Paul, you were writing to me when you said, how will Keith Smith ever escape if he neglects so great a salvation? How many know I have been given so much, been so blessed to know Jesus even from a child? And so how, how will I escape if I neglect so great a salvation. All right, what have we seen so far? First of all, we've seen God doesn't send anyone to hell. It's not his will that anyone goes to hell. Secondly, God does all he can to see us choose heaven. He puts all these roadblocks on the way to, he's just constantly reaching out, as Pastor Van said in a worship time, reaching out again and again and again. And then we choose, we choose the place that fits us in the afterlife. The place that fits us, yeah. It, it, it's like it's tailor-made for us, customized for us. Um, let, let, let's do a little vote here, okay? Don't lift up your hand for the vote. Just vote in your thoughts, okay? How many think Judas Iscariot went to hell? How many think Judas Iscariot went to heaven? You can read literature on it. People are divided on it. People that uh, say that hell would have been the best fit for Judas Iscariot. Remember, he's the one that betrayed Jesus. But long before that, John 12 says he was Jesus' treasurer and he was regularly stealing from the ministry fund. Can you imagine that? Here's a watch Jesus do a miracle and help yourself to some shackles. You know, like just anyway, I don't get that. But he seeks an opportunity. He seeks. Watch this. He seeks an opportunity to betray Jesus. It wasn't like just a, a little slip-up. He's, he's intentional about this. Remember he, when, he, when Jesus is arrested by the Roman uh, soldiers, and they're led by Judas Iscariot? He greets Jesus with a kiss. Hail, Rabbi. How's, what's up? You know, like, anyway, callous, cowardly, conscienceless, calculated, and something else is there to see. You know what I'm saying? It's just, someone say, hell fits. Hell fits him. Others would say, well, heaven's the best fit because keep reading this story. Judas was just trying to force Jesus' hand. Judas was just trying to see Jesus cornered so he'd have to show he was the mighty son of God. He was the political Messiah, set up his kingdom, overthrow Roman rule. And then Judas would have his place in the kingdom along with the other disciples. But then when Jesus was crucified, Judas realizes, I've gone too far. He regrets. And you can read in the Bible, he throws back the 30 pieces of silver at the feet of the chief priests and the elders. And he ends his own life. So great was his regret. So where does he go? Heaven or hell? No, you be quiet now. <laughs> Listen to what Peter says about where Judas ended up in the afterlife. Because they've got to replace Judas, right? There were 12 disciples. Judas is scared, betrayed Jesus, commit suicide. They've got, they've got two names on the short list. That's the context here. Then they prayed, Lord, now say this line with me because we're going to come back to it. Lord, say it with me. 
You know everyone's heart. Now think about that one. He knows your heart, my heart. He knows the heart of all the, almost whatever, seven billion of us on the planet. He knows everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go, say it with me, where he belongs. Uh, what fit him in the afterlife? What was the customized, tailor-made fit for Judas? We, we see here that God knows the heart of every human. He does. He knows the heart of every human. And then, we also see here, we end up where we belong. A place that fits. It's tailor-made for us. It's customized to fit us. You know, every one of us, we have seen from Easter on, and we sang about it in our songs today, that every one of us that are followers of Jesus, it was a gift of God's grace. Amen? A gift of His grace to us. But when we get to heaven, we are going to be rewarded differently. You're not going to have the same reward I have. God's going to take a lot of things. Jesus is going to be the judge. He will take a lot of things into account. For instance, you know, I, I was able to hit the ground running, grew up in a Christian home with parents who were the real deal when it came to Christians. And I've been blessed in my life, living in Canada and all kinds of things. I, I have been given so much. Jesus takes all of those things into account. And so when I'm rewarded... It's, I'm going to be rewarded differently than Pastor Jonathan. He's going to get so much more than me. No. Uh, each one of us will reward. Here's Jesus' words. will be rewarded each according to what he has done. I like to put it this way. It's what we did with what we had to work with. <laughs> the amount of revelation I had. The opportunities I had. The brokenness I had. It gets factored in. The blessings I was blessed with gets factored and I'm going to be rewarded on the basis of what I did with what I had to work with. And when someone goes to hell, there are going to be varying degrees of punishment. Luke 12, Jesus makes it clear. And listen to me, the punishment will fit perfectly. Someone's punished with a few blows, lots of blows, more or less blows, Jesus says in Luke chapter 12. The punishment will fit perfectly. That is his point. You know, our culture has this expression that we use, you know, when we don't, when we want someone out of our life, we tell them to go to, you know, H-E double stick, and, and uh, Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He does all that he can to keep us from going there. He wants to do all he can to see us choose heaven. We choose the place that fits us in the afterlife. So, so the real question is not, how can a loving God send people to hell? Do you know what the real questions are? Here are the real questions. Here, here's the first one. How can a just God force people to go to heaven against their will? You see, if he violates their will, he's no longer just. Second question. Here's the real question. How can a loving God allow people into heaven who will insist on messing up heaven the same way they messed up earth? Right? I mean, they're just going to take all that, what their will, their selfishness, the greed, the perversion, the corruption, just take that and it's going to mess it all up. Revelation 21, 27 reassures us, listen to these words, nothing evil will be allowed to enter. Nothing evil. And then here's, here's the third. I think this is the a real question. How can God send people to heaven who have proven they don't want to be in his presence? 
That's what heaven is. It's his presence. They want to live their lives without him. Yes, some people say, yeah, but Pastor Keith, you know, won't everybody just end up in heaven? That's, you know, there's a name for it, universalism. If I'm having a short conversation with them, I'll just give them just something to think about. I'll just say, oh, you're telling me that Billy Graham is up there now sharing a room with Adolf Hitler? (laughs) The witch of Buchenwald is rooming with Mother Teresa? And how many in this room come to me after, if you'll volunteer, I'll let the Lord know for you on your behalf. But you want to room with the accused Toronto mass or multi-murderer, uh, Bruce MacArthur, right? The guy that's been in the news, you know? As he's, listen to me facetiously, as he's rewarded with his mansion to landscape just over the hilltop. In the sweet, sweet by and by for him. Don't think so, girlfriend. <laughs> or boyfriend, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is just... I I just don't get this. What about those who sell girls in the sex trade? In so many places on our planet. What about those who force little boys to be soldiers? What about those who kill innocent people for corporate greed? Every one of them will have a place that fits. But Pastor Keith, that, that brings us to an important point. And we know that people that are messed up, sometimes somebody else messed up, up and then they go and mess up someone else. Do you know what? Uh, the answer to that is in the Gospels. Have you ever noticed that how many times Jesus to turn, some, turn to someone that everyone else had written off because they were so messed up and Jesus looked at their heart? <laughs> Remember the prostitutes? He was a friend of prostitutes, tax collectors. They were rip-off artists financially. And sinners, obvi- people that did obvious sin. Jesus looked beyond the outward appearance and saw their heart. See, Jesus has a capacity to do that. Jesus dealt with them on a case-by-case basis. He looked at the heart, and listen to me, never forget this. He knows what people will become if given the chance. Remember Peter? Stay away from me, I'm a sinful man, when he first met Jesus. Later on, he says, thank you for your grace. The blood of the Lamb was spilled for me, and I give my life to you, Jesus. See, Jesus saw someone who wrote themselves off becoming a fisher of men. Jesus always knows what's really going on. No one can get to the heart of a human and see what's really there like Jesus Christ. And I can tell you this, that at the final judgment, no one's going to have their turn before Jesus, and when he judges them, no one's going to walk away saying, hey, That's not fair. You didn't consider this about me and what I was dealt with in life and these things that happened to me and where I lived geographically and what I went. No, 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 no. Every one of us is going to leave there saying, because the Bible says in Philippians, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, you're right, Lord, you are the Lord. Every one of us will say, Jesus, you do what is just and what is fair. But Pastor Keith, what about those who claim they're Christians but they're really hypocrites? They, they, they use the name of Jesus for their own greed or gain. Listen to how fair he is. He's all, Jesus has already answered that question in Matthew. Listen to what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. How many of that's to sacrificially love people? Reach out to them. Verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. 
Away from me, you evildoers. How many know he knows what's really going on in every human heart? But it's also true that some who have lived the lives that are most worthy of hell get into heaven. Remember that guy on the cross? He admits it, and that's why he goes to heaven, but he admits it. He says to the, the, the guy on, the, there's three crosses, one guy's on one side, get us out of here. The other guy says, hey, watch how you talk to Jesus. What we have, we deserve to be here. He's admitting that he's done such nasty things in his life, he's worthy of capital punishment. That's what he's saying. That's how bad of a life I have lived. But Jesus, I turn to you. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. See, all it takes is just that longing for God, that reaching out to whatever background we have come from, whatever ditch that we have lived in. How many are thankful that we'll even whatever wonderful, favored, blessed home that we're in, it's all access to heaven by the grace of Jesus Christ. The same grace. See, heaven is all about the presence of Jesus. I, I told you before, do you remember what I told you? I said, I think there'll be two phrases that all of us will use a lot during our first few weeks in heaven. I think the first one will just, this will be the main one, just hallelujah, hallelujah. Maybe it'll be like, wow. And some of us will say it backwards, wow. You know, just like, like, oh, I, you did all of this for humans, for me? And, and this is the future? How many know, if he told us how good heaven was, we just, we just can't contain and understand. It's beyond what we can imagine. So anyways, we'd be saying, hallelujah. You know what else we'd be saying? I think the first few weeks, you'd go on and say, oh my goodness, I never thought I'd see you here. <laughs> what are you doing here? How did you get here? See, heaven is all about the presence of Jesus. It's for people who in this life have reached out to whatever they have known of God. Maybe they saw him in creation. God, if you're out there, maybe there's a longing for Jesus. Maybe we're just wanting to do things right. This has got to amount to something. I want to live right. Or they heard about the love of Jesus and they said, yes, hon, and their hearts want more. Heaven is all about the presence of Jesus. But keep listening to me. Some people don't want the presence of God. I don't understand it, but I'm here to tell you because the Bible teaches it. Some people do not want the presence of Jesus. And so they'd be completely out of place in heaven. They don't want to be in the presence of God. They don't have the heart for it. For God's goodness and grace and living for God and others. It's just not interested to them. Whatever has been revealed to them about God, they have insisted on filling up their own lives with their own agenda. They are their own God. And they have no room for the real one. They have chosen for the spiritual part of them to remain dead. Not to be made alive in Christ. One writer I came across, he said, you know, if someone has spent their entire lifetime telling God to be quiet... God will honor that insistence on silence. Hell is the absence of God. My favorite writer, C.S. Lewis, says there are only two kinds of people in the end. One, those who say to God, thy will be done. And two, those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. 
And that's true, except I wish he had have added this, that when Jesus says it, he says it with tears. The largest community that Jesus ever stepped into was Jerusalem. It's the biggest city that he ever traveled to. And before he went in the city, both Matthew and Luke talk about times where he would look out over the city. One time Luke says that he cried when he looked out over the city. Matthew tells us one time when he looked over the city, he said, listen to this, Jerusalem, he's talking about the people, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, God's been revealing himself to you, you kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not, listen, willing. You were not willing. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This has been a tough, tough teaching for me to prepare. I think of people that I love, I want them to know Jesus. I think of Trontonians. I think of the people who help with missions around the world. We'll be doing that more in a couple of weeks. Think of all of these people. But it's not God up there saying, hey, you're going. No, 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 no. It's, no. God doesn't want any human to go to hell. He'll do everything he can to see them to go to heaven. But, but he's going to honor their choice. And when they choose how they live this life, he'll know their heart. And how many know they'll go to a place that fits? But how many are here and you long for God? You're thankful for Jesus and what he has done for you. And you're looking forward to being in the presence of God. Amen. Let's pray together. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.